This past week, uh, my brothers and my dad went fishing without me. Uh, very depressing. Uh, very depressing, but it's a family tradition. Uh, we pick at least once a year where uh, we in the Thomas household get to go fishing in the Smoky Mountains, and this past week was that time. Now, the value is uh, just family fun and all the guys getting together and, and enjoying catching up, enjoying each other's company. Uh, but it's also a tradition that's been passed down uh, from my dad's dad to my dad to me uh, to my brothers and eventually to our children. It, it's a tradition that we've had. Now, despite uh, in, uh, added to the fact that it's a family tradition, there's great value in fishing with other people, uh, especially when it comes to trout fishing, fishing in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, if you go fishing in the Smoky Mountains all by yourself, then you all by yourself have to figure out, plumb the depths of a uh, wild mountain trout's mind to figure out, along with insects and season of the year and water flow and water temperature, you've got to figure out all by yourself what strategy and what insect imitation to throw. And even the best of us who, or the best of others, I, you know, I'm not an expert or anything, Okay, I am, but uh, uh, even the best of us, we uh, fall short when all we have is one line at a time to try to figure out how to catch fish. But when you go with other people, uh, and you have uh, this past trip, there are, uh, I have three brothers, one dad, so that if I were there, it'd be uh, four, five of us, and then we added another Thomas young man, uh, my youngest brother's oldest son, Harrison, he was able to go. Uh, so they had five or six people fishing at the same time, and they were able to strategize, each one using something different until they were able to figure out together what the fish were biting. There is something powerful that happens when people get together to figure stuff out. That, that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he writes the letter called Colossians. We're starting a new series called Greater Together, and the premise that, that the Apostle Paul points out in Colossians is that, that the people gathered together, the church together, uh, can grow greater in gratitude and in grace and in service and in purpose when they grow together in their relationship with Jesus. So the, the premise is that there is something that happens when the people get together and move forward together, something that happens that is greater than what can happen when we're just in this all by ourselves. Now, you may feel like you're in this all by yourself, that you're all alone, that you're just trying to make life as it comes and try to, try to figure out all by yourself plumbing the depths of the mind of the universe, trying to figure out how to do life the best way you know how. But there is a better way. 
And that's what we find in Colossians. Now, this is our first uh, message, our first talk in this series in Colossians. So, go ahead and open your copy of Scripture, and there are people in the room, yay! Um, go ahead and open your copy of Scripture or turn to your app on your phone uh, to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul introduces this whole idea of greater together. And I'm going to read, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read all the way to verse 8. Next week, we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 9. So, I encourage you to come back and see what uh, the rest of the story is. But Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. All right, let me stop right there. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that... that, that he is an apostle. Now, being an apostle means that he is someone who has been sent by God to share the good news of God's rescuing love to people all around the world, uh, to, to share with them how that they can have hope even in their darkest hour, okay? Share with them how that they can find forgiveness and freedom from shame even in the most difficult days. Uh, the apostle Paul was sent by God to people all around the world. And in the same way, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we're sent to people all around the world. So, Paul's an apostle. Timothy's with him. So, Timothy is kind of um, a a co-writer of this letter to the church at Colossae. Verse 2 says it's to the saints in Colossae. Now, saints there is a Greek term, hagios, and, and it comes from the word holy, and, uh, and, and so, when you think about saints, maybe you think about someone who has it all together. That is a saint. That's somebody that has uh, got some moral perfection going on. But as Paul uses it, he's not talking about our moral perfection. He's not talking to us as though we have it all together. When he says saints, he's talking about people who have been made right with God and brought into God's family. He's talking about the people of God. Here he's talking about the church. So, he's saying, all right, look, you and I have, uh, we've got crooked places in us created by our sin, but that crookedness in us has been made straight by the righteousness of Jesus. We've been brought into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and that makes us faithful brethren. Brethren or sistren, he's talking about family. He's saying we belong together. So, from the very first part of this letter, Paul's saying this is about a family thing. This is about a community. This is about us being greater together. Then he goes in to verse 8. After he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, then verse 3, we give thanks to God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. That is one sentence. 
That's a long one. Well, we're going to break that apart. And what is Paul talking about? Now, really, the theme of this section is I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to grow in gratitude. Now, i got to tell you, it is so important for us to grow in gratitude. Uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, and I don't know if you know who he is. He was a guy who was a, a pastor in Great Britain many years ago. If you've ever watched on BBC Father Brown, uh, that television series, G.K. Chesterton wrote that. Okay. Now, he was a pastor, and he was also a writer. But here's what he said about gratitude. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. I think that is true. And, and you and I need a heart of gratitude. And what Paul is saying is because we're a church, gratitude should have a megaphone that doubles and triples and multiplies happiness in our lives. As a church, we should grow together in gratitude. We need gratitude because that's how happiness takes wings in our heart, even in difficult days. So what we're going to see is that Paul's whole idea is that gratitude grows uh, in hearts that have been captured by God's grace. That's, that's where gratitude grows. The, the soil where thankfulness grows is preeminently in hearts that have been captured by God's grace. So here, as we gather together in person and online, the church called First Norfolk that's been serving Hampton Roads to change the world for 217 years, we are our 215 years, 1805 to today, 215 years, sorry, uh, sorry my math, uh, I graduated, but it was a long time ago. Uh, 215 years we've been serving Hampton Roads to change the world, and in that time frame, our hearts have been captured by gratitude so that we should help one another grow in gratitude so that happiness is doubled in our lives and in our church and in our community. We're a people whose hearts have been captured by God's grace. If you're to sum up verses 1 through 8, and really most of the letter that, that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, really what he's saying is, is I give thanks. Paul's saying, I want to give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for a community of believers who are marked by love and who are filled with hope. And that's who we are. That's who the church is. That's where we are to be. But how do we grow in that gratitude? How, and, and by the way, just free, if you grow in gratitude, you will grow in happiness. If you grow in gratitude, you will grow in joy. But you've got to grow in the right kind of gratitude. Now, the object of our gratitude has to be first and foremost the God of our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us life itself. He is the one that sets us on a path to experience happiness. And when we are grateful to God, our happiness begins to be doubled. When you add the megaphone of multitude of voices who are grateful to God because their heart's been captured by grace, then, then happiness is overflowing. 
So let's learn today how to grow in gratitude. By the way, if you're a graduate of high school and you're entering into your uh, collegiate world or entering, entering to the workaday world or, or, or going into the military, whatever you're doing, please understand you're going to need this lesson. You're going to need to learn gratitude because life is going to throw you curveballs and life's going to be hard and life's going to be difficult. And make no mistake, life is going to be unfair. And in the face of all those twists and turns and lack of fair and equity, you need to know that you can have happiness multiplied in your life, even in the face of those circumstances. If you're a graduate from uh, college and you're entering uh, a new stage of adulting, some of you are entering the first stage of adulting, you're going to need gratitude because gratitude becomes that instrument that God has given all of his people to combat the hopelessness and despair that life brings our way. We need to have a heart of gratitude. And friends, that's why the church is important too, because it is in the church that we're supposed to amplify thankfulness. And we're supposed to help each other be grateful. We want to learn how to amplify gratitude so that happiness is doubled by wonder. So how do we grow in gratitude? Let's just break apart what Paul writes, and then let's apply it to our lives. The first thing we do, if we're going to grow in gratitude together, then we need to thank God for the faith that brings us into his family. We need to, every day that we wake up, we need to thank God for the faith that brings us into his family. Uh, the, the, the most basic yearning in every human heart is family. It's, it, it, the most basic instinct is not survival. The most basic instinct is belonging that comes through family. Oh, no matter where you are, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to find your way in the adult world and trying to figure out and map a course where you can be independent and autonomous, and I appreciate that, and I love that, and that's marvelous and spectacular, and, and I applaud that, but you cannot escape family. The deepest yearning and the safest place this side of heaven for you and for me is family. And I know that for many, family is not a happy place sometimes. And I know that for many, uh, family is not a safe place sometimes. But make no mistake that God has wired you to be part of family. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that God has given us a family in which we find security, in which we find strength, in which we find safety, in which we find forgiveness, in which we find love, in which we find nourishment, in which we find provision, in which we find acceptance, in which we find belonging. Where is that family found? It's called the church. It's an invitation that God makes to people like you and me, all of us here, a longing to be part of a family that looks at me in my messiness and accepts me and embraces me and loves me, not so that I stay in my mess, but so that I grow beyond my mess. And guys, I'm a messy person. 
I, I, I'm, I'm a mess of a man so often. I, I'm a little bit broken. But because God in his grace and, and, and invites me to be part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ, I find a place where my messiness can be worked on in love. That's the picture that God makes of us. Now, uh, please understand, verse 4, Paul says in verse 3, he says, all right, so I'm praying for you always, the end of verse 3, and then verse 4, he says, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not some, some foggy idea. Uh, it's not some, some ineffable philosophy for living. Faith in Jesus Christ is believing that there is a way for me to be forgiven and escape the cell of shame, for me to be made brand new in spite of all my errors and mistakes, for me who is separated from God to find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is not just some intellectual pursuit. It is an absolute giving of myself to God through Jesus Christ. It's saying, I believe that without Jesus, I am dead. But with Jesus, I'm alive. That's faith. It's declaring, uh, if, if I'm going to have joy, it's because of Jesus. And without Jesus, there is no joy. Faith in Jesus Christ is faith that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to a mess of a man named Eric Thomas. And Jesus came to rescue me, captured in my sin, broken by my mistakes, separated from God by all the crimes against his holiness that I've committed. That Jesus came to rescue me. And, and he was killed on a cross for my sin so that through the nails and the wood of that cross and the shedding of his blood, he would build a bridge for me to cross that would bring me into God's family so that I'm no longer a stranger from God, but now I sit at the table with God. I'm no longer at some distant room, an outsider from God, but now through faith in Jesus, I'm brought into the family, embraced fully, not because of my perfection or any good that I do, but simply based upon what Jesus has done for me. I believe... I believed that I was dead, not just, not just sad, not just mad, not just rebellious, but I was dead. I was dead, and there was no hope and no life in me because of my sin. But there was a day when I placed my faith in Jesus, and the dead man named Eric came to life because of what Jesus has done for me. I was dead, but now I live. I once was blind. I couldn't see where I was going. I couldn't see a pathway to walk. I couldn't see a way out of the fog. I couldn't find a path to, uh, to peace or, or, or an avenue to hope. I was walking around as a blind man because of my sin. I was separated from God. But when I saw that Jesus has built a bridge of forgiveness across the chasm that my sin had created, and I placed my faith in Jesus, 
I was blind, but then I see. I was lost. Lost, empty, incomplete, dissatisfied. And no matter what I achieved, no matter what uh, games I won, no matter what uh, goals I arrived at, no matter uh, how much I did, no matter how many friends I had, I was lost. I was incomplete. I was unfulfilled. I was dissatisfied with all pieces and parts of my life. Because I was separated from God. You and I were created for family with God. That's how he made us in the very beginning. And until we get back to that family, we will be forever dissatisfied, hopeless, and in despair. I was lost. But when I placed my faith in Jesus, when I saw that Jesus died on a cross for a sinner like me, when I abandoned myself in the grip of God's grace and said, Jesus, what you did, I need it for me. Jesus, I'm lost. Will you? save me and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus in that moment that faith took me from a lost person and made me a found person in the family of God look I'm not perfect don't even pretend to be I probably talk more about my sin than I talk about yours that was kind of a joke and I know you got masks on but you should be laughing about that <clears throat> we I'm, I'm not a perfect person, but it doesn't take my perfection to bring me into God's family. Jesus has already done that. It's his perfection that brings me into God's family. We give thanks for the faith that brings us into God's family. We need to grow in that gratitude. Our happiness is doubled by wonder when we see that, yes, I can be part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We grow in gratitude when we give thanks to God for the faith that brings us into God's family. We grow in gratitude together when we give thanks to God for the love that we share together. Now, that's the uh, second part. It says, says, since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is verse 4, since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love toward all the saints. Love. Uh, please, please, don't short sell the essential ingredient of love as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is love that defines who we are. I didn't say that, Jesus did. Jesus said, here's how people are going to know that you're a follower of mine, by your love for one another. Make no mistake, there is no place in the family of God for hatred, pride, or prejudice. And by the way, prejudice is the fruit of pride. There is no place 
for elevating self above another. There is no place for the lofty ideals of racial prejudice. Make no mistake, love won't have none of that. Not God's love. And today, we're to be known as a people who love. By the way, you know that you're trying to uh, not love when you describe yourself or, or, or try to limit the love that you share toward others. Well, I would love them if, or I would love them when. Aren't you glad that God didn't love you like that? God didn't love you if, God didn't love you when, but God loved you and the world so much so that even when you and I were sinners and hostile toward him, he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to you and me. God's love has to be the active ingredient in our relationships. And aren't you glad that we're in a family where that kind of love is the preeminent value of who we are? True faith, get this, true faith expresses itself in genuine, sacrificial love for others. Not in a self-centered pursuit, not in prideful ideas about me, myself, and mine, but rather it expresses itself outward. How can I show who Jesus is to my, per my friend over here, or my brother over here, or my sister over here, or the stranger down the street? Love is woven into the fabric of our family's faith. So we must join our voices together and praise and thank God who gives us the power to love one another. You go down to verse 8. It says, and, and, and the Spirit of God equips this kind of love. You know that Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is What's the first one? Love. That was so good. I actually have somebody who can answer me back in person. That's marvelous. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the, 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 the codicil to love, all the other fruit of the Spirit attaches itself to love. The fruit is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Love. The Spirit of God empowers us to love, to love others the way Jesus has loved us. So what should we do today? We must give thanks for this love that Christ has planted in our heart as his people, and we should go love somebody today. We give thanks to God for the faith in Jesus that brings us into God's family. We give thanks to God for the love that we share together. We grow in this grace of gratitude when, when we give thanks to God for the hope that we know together. We live in tough times, don't we? I, I mean, let's just be honest. It, it, it's, it's hard out there right now. I mean, uh, it's not just a dumpster fire on social media. It's literally a dumpster fire out there. And I know that when you look at the world around us, we can be so filled with despair because of the darkness that seems to pervade 
our culture today, our world today, the news today. But the difficulties and the despair should never define those who have been made new in Christ Jesus. We're not a people who are living by the darkness, ruled and defined by defeat, but rather we are a people who have been given good news of great joy and the promise of hope every single day. Paul says, uh, he says, since I heard uh, of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, verse 5, because of the hope which is stored up for you in heaven. And you know what he's saying there? He's saying you've got hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been brought into God's family, you have hope. Darkness doesn't define your days. Despair or difficulty doesn't define who you are. But rather, what God has provided for you and me through Christ, we are people of hope. And if death can't defeat that hope, nothing can. And friends, death did not defeat that hope because God raised Jesus from the dead. We're a people of hope. So let's stop acting like the sky is falling because even if the sky were falling, we are a people who follow the God who controls even the falling skies. And he is for us and he is with us and he is providing for us so that we have a treasure that no earthly force can take away. We have a treasure found in the hope that God has given us. We have a treasure stored up in heaven for you and me. We've got hope. We have hope in dark days, in good days, in bad days, in, in sunshiny days. We have hope. We have hope when all the circumstances turn against us. We have hope when everything, when the winds blow with us. We have hope. And that hope is not built on anything that you and I have created. It's not, it's not a, 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 a mechanism in our hand, but it is a hope that has been made and given to us by the very hand of God through Jesus Christ. We're a people of hope. You got hope today. You've got hope because you've got God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have the faith that has brought you into God's family, faith in Jesus that's brought you into God's family, and if you have been immersed in the love of God and then sharing the love of God, make no mistake, you also have this hope that no earthly force can shatter that nothing can take away, and even if the economy tanks, and even if the jobs numbers go down, and even if you lose your job, you still have hope because disappointment and difficulties do not define your every day. What God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ, that's what defines who you are. When we fill our mouths and our hearts each day with gratitude to God for the hope we have, then happiness is doubled with wonder. We grow in hope because we give thanks to God for the faith that brings us into his family. We give thanks to God for the love that we share 
together. We, we give thanks to God for the hope that we have. And finally, we give thanks to God for the gospel that changes lives. And see, it's the gospel. It, it, and, and Paul said it this way, second part of verse 5, he said, he said, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, what is the word of the truth of the gospel? The word of the truth of the gospel is simply that there is no hope for happiness or life apart from faith in Jesus Christ. That's the word of the truth of the gospel. Word of the truth of the gospel. And by the way, there are countless people in this room here today who would tell you just that very truth. They would tell you, you can try to be happy following all kinds of different paths, but the only true happiness that will ever come comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the word of the truth of the gospel. Why? Because we were created to know God. And until we come into that relationship with God and follow after God as followers of Jesus, we cannot be satisfied in this life. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy us. There's absolutely zero. There's nothing that can make us happy apart from life in Christ. And that's the word of the truth of the gospel. In a couple of weeks, we're going to hear how uh, there were other philosophies and other ideas that, that were uh, being spread around the church as though, uh, that, as though the gospel were just not enough. Friends, the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough because the gospel gives us God. And when we have God, we have all we need. So each day that we wake up, we wake up with this wondrous realization and truth that I've been brought into God's family and it's changed my life. And that whoever I encounter can be brought into God's family and, and the gospel can change their life. Today, we give thanks for the gospel that has changed our lives. When we grow in gratitude together, we amplify happiness so that it is doubled and tripled and multiplied beyond measure by the wonder of faith, love, and hope that we've discovered in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's grow in gratitude and have happiness doubled with wonder. I invite you to bow your heads with me right now in prayer. Um, if you're here in this room or if you're online in the room where you're watching, if you're with friends or with family or just by yourself, I invite you right now to express thanks to God, to thank God for the faith in Christ Jesus that brings you into God's family, and give thanks to God for the love that he has woven into the fabric of his family's faith and life. And thank God for the hope that we have and that we share together. And thank God for the good news, the gospel, that changed your life and cha can change other people's lives. We thank God today.
perhaps you're here or you're watching or listening, and you realize that you're not yet part of God's family, that the gospel hasn't ever changed your life, and yet that's exactly what you want to happen in your life right now. You desire God to be part of this family that takes us in our messiest and loves us just the same. You desire to be part of God's family. The Bible tells us that we can become part of God's family if by faith we trust the death of Jesus as payment for our sin and his resurrection to give us new life. If we believe that Jesus is God's Son who came on a rescue mission for us and we give our life to Him, we give our past to Him, all the mistakes and all the loneliness, all the despair, uh, all the sin, we give that to Him. We give our present to Him. We give our future to Him, all our pursuits and ambitions. We give all that we are to Jesus. If we will put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we can be brought into God's family. And perhaps that's exactly what God is doing in your heart right now. He's leading you to that place where it's time for you, you who feel dead, to be made alive. You who feel blind, to be given sight. You who feel lost, to be found. Today is that day for you. And if that's who you are and if that's what God is working in your heart, I invite you to go to God in prayer. And with simple faith, admit to God that you're a sinner, knowing that your sin has separated you from God. Tell God that you believe that Jesus is his son and that he died on a cross for your sin. And he was raised to give you a new life. And commit your life to him. If that's the desire of your heart, then I invite you to pray this prayer that expresses it in this way. Say this, Dear God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I believe that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on a cross and he was raised from the dead to bring me into your family, to forgive my sin and give me a new life, a new heart, a brand new beginning. So today I commit myself to you and I give you all that I am. Thank you, God, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to text uh, Jesus to the number on the screen. Uh, I invite you to scroll in that whatever social media platform you're using, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or First Norfolk Live, uh, in the comments section say, today I became a follower of Jesus. Or you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org and say, today I became a follower of Jesus. My prayer is that God would give you the courage to become public with your commitment to be a follower of Christ so that together we might grow in our relationship with Jesus. Now, Father, in this time as we worship you, I pray that for all who are here who are part of your family, 
God, I pray that you would give us courage that we do not know, that you would give us com uh, uh, comfort that we desperately need, that you would give us, um, give us a call to live our life in the love that you have shaped our soul with. I pray that we would look to you, O oh God, and that you would speak hope into our hearts. I pray that we would live today and tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day and the next day by the faith that we have in Jesus, by the love that he has given us, and by the hope that shapes our every day. And may we be a people who share that faith, hope, and love with others. Now may we worship you in spirit and in truth, and may you encourage us as we sing our praise to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.